Listen, the foreplay actually started before me getting into that room because there was ads. This guy had a presence in social media, radio, print everywhere. So obviously there's that desire and interest and you're like, wait a minute, I want to be there. And I promise you, I queued all of two hours to get into the actual venue itself. So it was foreplay, it was patience. I was not going to leave without a piece of the action. I, I was curious, but I also was marinated and I was, I was bait. <laughs> Welcome back to the Brain and Brand Show. I'm Timothy Maurice. Thanks for downloading part two of our three-part Applied Behavioral Science series, where in three short and straight-to-the-point episodes, I'm offering you seven simple and practical ways you can apply behavioral science to your personal and professional life in order to have greater influence over the decision-making of yourself and those around you, all by understanding the latest science of the brain. For those hoping to go a little bit deeper than this audio series, I've shared further research in the show notes. If you're new to the podcast, welcome to this journey of applying the best insights and research about the brain to how you and others make decisions and go about influencing the world. Make sure you check out previous episodes with some of the world's most accomplished researchers and authors. In this latest episode, we're going to explore two more powerful principles you can start using today. Number one, scarcity. And number two, the endowment effect. And I'm going to add a spin that you may not have heard before in other behavioral science podcasts. Let's begin with scarcity. You see this principle used all around you but may not have been aware. Scarcity is when an object or resource is positioned as less readily available, such as when brands say we have limited quantity remaining. Robert Cialdini, the author of Persuasion and Influence, helped make this idea mainstream. Here are three ways to practically apply the scarcity principle. Number one, if you're hosting an event online or in person, control the perception of how much seating is available because as Chaldini said, the feeling of being in competition for a scarce resource has powerfully motivating properties. If the event is being held online versus in person, you can make it explicit that this link is only available to a certain amount of people. Number two, hotels and airlines use this all the time. Limited rooms, limited seats available at this price, they design it into their pricing structure and so can you. You may have 50 seats at $50, but only two seats at $30. This is actually a design question more than a moral question. Because if you literally only have two seats at $30 and 50 seats at 50, you're not manipulating, you're literally directing the customer to a better decision based on strategy. Number three, as a consultant, you can use it in your scheduling to motivate clients to work with you. You can say you only have three days remaining in the next month for a specific type of client. In fact, there are new scheduling apps, apps that allow people to go into your calendar and book time with you. And the way to use these apps is to design specific space in your calendar for a specific type of consulting engagement. That way you create the scarce principle of limited availability. Before we go into our second principle, the endowment effect, 
I caught up with a colleague of mine to see how she feels about the ethical implications of these behavioral science principles. And the conversation gets pretty intense, but I clarify the difference between manipulating and offering strategic nudging. Mel Mosime, thank you so much for hanging out on the Brain and Brand Show. Thanks for having me. So you've been a victim of someone who's used scarcity, a high-profile public speaker. We won't mention his name, (laughs) but you have been a victim. I have. uh, Embarrassed to say I should have known better, but I fell for it hook, line, and sinker. I have. So let's set the stage. You show up at a conference. Mm -hmm. You walk in. Mm -hmm. This guy uses the power of persuasion. He sets the stage, frames you guys really well. Mm -hmm. He puts you guys in a really, you know, comfortable box. And then he inspires you, shows you amazing photos, and then what? Listen, the foreplay actually started before me getting into that room because there was ads. This guy had a presence in social media, radio, print everywhere. So obviously there's that desire and interest, and you're like, wait a minute, I want to be there. And I promise you, I queued all of two hours to get into the actual venue itself. So it was foreplay, it was patience. I was not going to leave without a piece of the action. I, I was curious, but I also was marinated and I was, I was bait. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it started way before getting into that room. But he showed you guys photos with famous people, mm-hmm. did all sorts of stuff. And he says, you have the opportunity today and only today to get these products. Right. You jumped up and you ran to the back. Because I was told... If you do it in the next hour, this is the price you're going to get it for. But if you do it in the next 30 minutes, not only will you get a signature or an autograph photo from myself, you will get a package and I will, you know, take a photo of you uh, and part of my crew. It was, it was all romance, moonlight and roses. So, yeah, I found myself running to the back of the room, you know, stampeding. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Okay, so let's not discuss the fact that what you got is not what you want. That's not the point of the conversation. Mm-hmm. The point of the conversation is you're slightly upset with yourself, Absolutely. not him. Absolutely. That you did not see this coming or wasn't able to see through the filter that he had projected. Why are you upset with yourself? Number one, the remorse happened almost instantly because the price was a little exorbitant for what he was putting forth. But not only that, when I got home and opened this DVD set... It was a recording of all, all these webinars that he had had uh, hosted around the country. So it was, it was basically recordings of the same crap he was selling everybody else. Mm. No, no value add. And I, I should have known better. I mean, it's sealed. You're in marketing. It's marketing 101. You ought to know what you're signing up for, uh, understand the brand, understand what's being sold. But I was caught up in the romance. I just ought to have known better as a business person and a person who has exposure to marketing tactics. So, so the point of this podcast specifically mm-hmm. is to inspire people to understand and apply these techniques. So you're not saying don't apply them. You're basically saying there are moral lines, though. Absolutely. And you need to at least, if you're going to tell people to get it today and it's the only day, make sure you deliver Correct. value. Absolutely. Right? Let's discuss how you apply this Mm. what are one or two ways that you think about applying the scarcity principle in and around your work i'll I'll use it a an analogy of a relationship if you think you cannot get someone for whatever reason it is that you think you cannot get them 
do you not uh, make means to be the person to get that thing? You know, <laughs> we always want want what we cannot have or what seems scarce. Uh, so, in in application to business, uh, I just filter it to speak to your needs as opposed to your wants, because with your wants. Even things that seem scarce might not be necessarily scarce. It's just that you have a yearning and a desire for it. To you. <laughs> we know it's funny. This conversation has turned to you want to help people not become you. <laughs> right. That's exactly. not my goal. That's, That's not it. my goal. That's it. <laughs> my goal is to help people create people like you in a moral way. We want to get people to buy. Right. We want, people are so overwhelmed with choices. Mm. And that. so we want to help nudge people along so to get them to buy. I don't want to guard people from... That's not the purpose of this podcast. So okay. my final point to you, and I'm going to let you go. Okay? okay. All right. Is one way that we can get someone like you uh-huh. to go and make a decision. Uh-huh. What is one technique? You've got a marketing background. You own your own business. What is one way you're comfortable using to get people to rush to sign up for something or to buy your product? Show them the value. What's the value proposition? Why do they need it? What value would it add, not only to themselves as an individual, but to the productivity of their business? In a very ethical way. Don't, don't do people into, manipulate people into buying something through scarcity. Yes, that's a positioning that's strategic, but let's have ethics. You're really hurt. I am. I, you know what, Timothy? After, really I'm, I, I am. I'm bothered. You're really hurt by, you spent over really 5,000. Ran almost a thousand dollars on this stuff. Did you ever use it? It's still picking up dust. I'm using the CDs as coasters. So you couldn't take it back. You no, the period you bought it in, you weren't able to take it back. That's sad. That's very sad. It's really really upsetting. And I'm happy we went there in this conversation because, again, you don't want to make people sad. But Mm -hmm. the bigger issue in this conversation Mm -hmm. is that you can use tools Mm -hmm. to arouse people to drive them towards a decision. And like you said, the relationship example, if you can position your brand as a brand that's desirable, aligned to your values, and put a time frame and frame it in a way where people feel like, I need to make the decision now, what you can do is help them leapfrog over the other choices around them to make a decision. Just make sure that they sleep well at night after making that decision because they may not come back. It needs to feel good. It's, it, and it, it links to your brand association. Now I have a dirty, dirty, hideous taste in my mouth with this person we will not name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if I'm given a platform to uh, you know, share recommendations, I would bash them to no end. Uh, so that is me that is worth by my, you know, word of mouth and whoever it is that I come into contact with and they want to know. Yeah. How I, so, so we need to be very mindful about these things as we're building brands. Yeah. Are you going to have a repeat customer? Or are you going to have somebody bashing a certain percentage yeah. of would-be customers? So do it ethically. Uh, do it to add value. And just just be kind to yeah. your to your would-be or potential prospect customer. Yeah. Yeah. And I give further examples in the podcast where you can make ethical choice design mm-hmm. where, yes, the hotel room or the airline ticket or whatever is only available in the front two seats at this price Mm -hmm. behind that. So you can't get on a plane and go, but you told me there was only two seats available and then the whole plane is empty. You're going to feel duped. So if you tell them there was only two seats in the front, then that's where it becomes ethical. Then there's merit. There's merit there and I'm happy to take that. (laughs) Mel, you're a star, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, Timothy. (laughs) Thank you so much. 
Now to our second principle, the endowment effect. The endowment effect is simply we place a higher value on things we own versus the same item that's not ours. Study after study has shown that we have an emotional and psychological bias for items that we have a relationship with. Researchers such as Nobel Prize winning co-author of Nudge, Richard Thaler, who is one of the godfathers in this behavioral science discipline. He has shown in his work that many times the pain of losing is so strong that we would rather hold on and place a higher value on what we have rather than take a chance of acquiring something new. I'll put further research links in the show notes unpacking the WTP or willingness to pay versus the WTA, what you're willing to accept theory, specifically for those who want to go a little deeper into the brain implications of why the endowment principle works. But just to ensure we don't go too technical for this series, let me share how you can apply this to your life right away. The two biggest ways I applied the endowment effect are, number one, I found that when working with clients that I have far more success when closing deals and getting clients to commit when I share stories that include them in it. Basically, you want to tell a story where they have ownership of their future self based on their own goals. Simply put, at the beginning of the consulting process, once I have a clear idea where they want to go and what they want to accomplish, I paint a picture for them and tell a story of who and what they're likely to evolve into and I get them to commit to this new version of themselves in their own mind. Of course, they have to believe it and it has to be real for them. But when they fully commit, a powerful shift occurs in their mind transforming their levels of commitment to the process. This storytelling exercise triggers a powerful bond between them, their growth, and me. And that is the endowment effect. But let me go a little deeper and show you a second way this is used around you that you may not have noticed as well. Retailers encourage you to try on shoes and walk around in them. And car dealers encourage you to drive the drop top with the top down. What they know is that you will create your own stories and endow the car and the shoes with increased meaning and value in your life while you are wearing and driving the car. You're going to imagine yourself walking into the meeting or driving up to a friend's house or picking up a friend. And when you associate yourself with those stories, you increase the value of the item. So by getting your client to actively experience you or your products, you are equipping them to add additional value and emotion to you and the product or the service. This is a powerful way to use the endowment effect that is literally like applying glue. Once there is an emotion tied to a story and to an item or resource or service, the consumer, the customer, the stakeholder, is increasing value. You can apply these principles every day. And the most important thing to remember is that if you don't use these ideas to get into your clients and stakeholders and family members' heads, somebody else will. Somebody will be competing for their brain's attention. And if they don't choose you, they may choose someone to work with who doesn't have their best interest at heart. In our next episode, part three of this series, I'm going to give you the final three remaining strategies. You now have four that you can use. Two today 
and two from the previous episode. Thanks so much for listening. Please do rate the show and leave a comment on whichever platform you're listening. And email me, podcast at timothymaurice.com. I would love your feedback. Until next time.